could go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, um, you know, today is a special day. Um, you know, for us as a church, uh, we always like to take the last Sunday of the year and, for one, reflect. You know, in a lot of ways, I feel like maybe we can't find a lot to reflect on in the hellacious 2020 that we've experienced this year. But I believe that for us as a church and even for us as individuals, I think there's a lot that we can celebrate. And then not only celebrate what God has been and what he has done through us and with us over this past year, but also celebrate and hopefully anticipate what God wants to continue to do with us today and tomorrow and what God has for us in the year 2021. And, and specifically, we always, we always want to take this time, the last Sunday of the year, to kind of reflect on who we are as a church and who we started as, what we want to do. You know, I feel like a lot of times in churches, we kind of get rolling, we kind of get doing things, and, and, and before long, we can so easily drift away from the kind of church we wanted to be, the kind of people we want to be. And so this is kind of a time within our calendar where we stop and we say and we remind ourselves, this is the church that Cross Point started as, and this is the church we want to continue to be. Uh, and, and, and kind of the idea of our name and kind of the driving force behind our mission uh, really kind of started in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And we've, for the last three years, we've preached this verse uh, the last Sunday of the year to kind of this rally point that we come to. And we say these are the kind of people we want to be and this is the kind of work that we want to do. And so just to take a second and looking back on this year, which has been tough, right, and on many different levels for many different people, whether it's family members uh, that have experienced loss or some type of difficulty or it's you as individuals that have experienced some type of difficulty. Uh, but for us, you know, just to kind of look at some things that we've gotten to do and experience over this past year. You know, first off, we have, uh, in, in our studies, uh, you know, we've got to go through the book of James. We, we went through the entire book of James together. Uh, we also discussed and kind of went through in First and Second Samuel the relationship and the kingship of Saul and David and what that looks like and how God can communicate those truths and use those in our midst. And also, uh, we broke down the Lord's Prayer. We went through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter uh, 5. And broke that down. And then also, also, we uh, started into the book of Galatians. Now, we're kind of midway through, and we'll finish up into 2020. But, uh, you know, we've got to enter into this study about God's grace and what that looks for, like for us. Also, and we kind of talked about this last week, but this is the first time that we've been in the same place a year later. So that's pretty exciting, and the church here has been so good to us and created such a, a great environment for us to be able to kind of get our feet on the ground and be able to figure out who we want to be and how we want to accomplish uh, things within our ministry. So that's been a blessing. To be in the same place the next year for us is a huge deal. So we're very thankful for that, you know, and, and also, you know, we're still, we navigated and are still navigating a pandemic. You know, for us as a church plant, you know, in a lot of uh, ways that could have drastically affected us, affected our mission, affected how we move and navigate and grow as a church. But I believe God has protected us. I believe God has been with us. I believe God is still moving, even though we're still navigating some uncertainties with this, God is still using us and we're still here. You know, from when in March, when it was said that, you know, we, we can't, we shouldn't meet because of just the, uh, the restrictions and all those things and there was such distance between us, you know, we come to this point now where we're able to be back together, still being cautious, you know, and we've made some adjustments, man, and through all that time, we were still able to stay connected, still able to teach, still able to get God's word out there. 
you know, God has just been good, and he's brought us to this point, and there's a lot to celebrate in that. And not only that, but it's still in a lot of ways recovering from two storms, major storms, you know, and, 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 and we're still here, you know, and, and you, you know, and a lot of, of people experiencing different loss on different levels, we're still here, and God is still good, and God is still on his throne, you know, and there's a lot to be celebrated in that. Also, in this year, we established our leadership team officially with two elders and one deacon. The two elders being uh, Garen and Sean and, uh, and our, our deacon, our first deacon being Mr. Billy. And so, you know, that's, that's something to celebrate, uh, establishing leadership to better serve a church and hopefully begin to continue to move and, and, and establish more men into those roles over this year. And also, we started a process of establishing an, an advisory, I can't talk this morning, an advisory council to better help us uh, hear from our church body and utilize the talents of as many people as we can uh, to properly step forward into the future that God has for us. So over this year, you know, there's a lot of things. I was looking back on our vision for 2020, and there were a lot of things that we wanted to do. You know, there were a lot of things we talked about. Some of those things we did, you know, one of the big things was uh, we wanted to establish another set of groups and really kind of lean into some education. And we, right when we started those things, the pandemic happened. And so we had to stop all of it again. So in a lot of ways, man, you know, there's been some things that haven't worked according to plan. But then moving forward, I believe God is continuing to work and continuing to show us what he wants to do with us. And so uh, for us this morning, as we get into the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know, like I said, we always want to come back to this verse as our rallying point, uh, because for us as Christians, we tend to have short memories, especially as church leaders and people. We can get so far ahead of ourselves and have all these plans and all these goals and all these things we want to accomplish. We can get so far from who we were, or who we are as believers and who we want to be as a church that we can totally forget and start to function outside of that capacity. And so for us, we never want that to happen. So we always want to take this time of the year to come back to these verses and read them together and talk through them together. So let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says Paul is speaking to this church that was, uh, that, that was having a hard time, that was very divided, that was trying to navigate a lot of different spiritual and doctrinal type things. And so he tells them this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, And when I came to you, brothers... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you speak to us through these truths today. God, help remind us who we are as Crosspoint, who we desire to be as a ministry. God, who we, who we desire to be as far as seeing a method played out in our community and in our families and in this local church body. God, help us focus in on the truths you have for us. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to kind of remind us and help us rally around this idea of who we always want to be or who we want to always be as a church that we'll see a certain message and a certain method of how we want to be seen and function as a church. 
And we can see that Paul gives some instruction on how he approaches ministry. And I think Paul is better than anyone to kind of see this approach and how we enter into spaces. You know, Paul being the great missionary, Paul being the one to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth and all these different continents and all these different places that, you know, if, if that can work in the context of international ministry, how much even more so can it work in the, in the place of our families or in the place of our local communities or in the place that we're trying to minister in our uh, positions of influence. And so we see here uh, first uh, kind of the method at which Paul approaches it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1. He says, I did not come with lofty speech and wisdom. And so this is very significant for Paul in the context of where he's speaking. Because he's speaking in, in Corinth. This is a, a Greek city. And then there would have been a very high cultural expectation for people who were presenting something. Okay, these people were used to hearing philosophers. These people were used to hearing uh, businessmen. They were used to hearing these very elaborate, very uh, theatrical presentations of their product, of their mindset, or their thought processes. So they had this very high expectation of a very, uh, a very well-to-do presenter and, and that their message and that their method would be very impressive. This is the cultural expectation that they had on Paul. That this, is how, uh, that this is how he is expected to present what he has. You know, this expectation of entertainment, to be impressed with this individual. But the thing is that Paul tells us, he's making it very clear that he is not fighting the battle like them. He has chosen to use a different weapon. That he is not trying to impress them. He is not trying to entertain them. He isn't playing into their cultural expectations. And he'll even mention this, or he mentioned this earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews in foolishness to the, Galatia, uh, to, the, uh, to the Gentiles. That's a huge deal. So he's saying, he's saying that this message is difficult for people to receive. It's difficult to understand. He says for the Jews, it's a stumbling block because it turns upside down everything they've believed up to this point. And for the uh, Gentiles, he says it's foolishness, that it doesn't even even make sense to them, that they don't like it, that they don't like the idea of it. So he's basically saying that the entire audience that he's speaking to, that this message that he has is difficult to swallow. He doesn't say that it's entertaining to the Jews, and he doesn't say that it's satisfying to the Gentiles. He says that it's difficult because it upends the life of the Jews, and for the Gentiles, it just doesn't make sense. And for us as a church, we, we never want to be, we can't let culture define our approach. We can't let the, the, the pressure around us to look a certain way, to talk a certain way, to act a certain way, be what drives what we do as a ministry. You know, a, a, a word that is commonly used with the, with the modern church is this word pragmatism. And the word pragmatism kind of summed up basically means whatever works is the right thing to do. You know, whatever works is the right thing to do. And it's a philosophy that, 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 can, that communicates this idea. And that the central idea of pragmatism is that truth is proved by whether or not the idea in question works. Meaning that it produces the expected or desired results. That we judge whether something is true based off of whether it works. Can you see how that could lead a church or how that could lead an individual into bad territory, right? Lead us down the wrong path. When we begin to be led, guided, and directed by results, 
We begin to be led, guided, and directed by these desires for, for uh, production, this certain expectation of how things should play out based off of the cultural acceptance of what we have to say. You know, it can, it can be and it is a pitfall for churches, and we can't ever allow ourselves to be results-driven rather than truth-driven. You know, when we begin to be led by results, it's when we can easily slip away from biblical Christianity. You know, when we begin to deliver a message that is not a stumbling block, when we begin to deliver a message that doesn't seem like foolishness to those on the outside, you know, this is where we move away from truth for comfort and acceptance. This is a way where we move morally, begin to erode and blur our moral standards where it's not clear what, what we believe or what we stand for or what we believe God's standard is. You know, because I think what's very significant about, about Paul is he continues on in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.2, and he says, For I decided to know nothing. The thing about this, when he's talking about this in relation to the message that he's preaching and teaching, he's not saying this is some acceptance of ignorance. He's not saying that this is a refusal to seek wisdom or knowledge and to understand the culture or to understand the people. He's not saying that at all. But what he is saying is that this is an intentional commitment to what is most valuable. And this word to know it means to remember or to appreciate so what Paul is saying is he's saying that I'm choosing to remember I'm choosing to appreciate a message a very intentional message that is not easily accepted and that is not always liked he says but this is the message that I choose to know this is the message I to choose to appreciate and push to the forefront this is a focused commitment to what he wanted to communicate you know, and he says that the message uh, further down is he said, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what's interesting about that is he says that it, 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 this isn't even like a focus on the miraculous signs and wonders that Jesus has accomplished. He could have very easily have done that. He, this could have very easily have been the point of everything that he told and taught and did. He could have said, man, have you heard about all these things Jesus is doing for people? Like, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? That if you'll just have faith that God will do these things for you, if you'll come to him, then he'll provide for you. So you're basically drawing people into this product for their satisfaction and for their benefit you know he could have very easily have done that even though he wasn't alive during that I mean he wasn't a believer during that time he personally experienced a miracle where where God gave him his sight through his faith and so he could have very easily have used the product of what God did rather than God himself being the draw the, the factor that draws them in and we see this we see this through prosperity gospel or other pragmatic ways of doing ministry and so he he, he could have very easily have done that that they, this would not have been a stumbling block to the Jews. Everybody likes miracles, right? Everybody likes God to gift them and to give them things. You know, in, in the miraculous signs of healing and all those things, man, Paul could have just drawn thousands of people in with this message because everybody wants that, right? Everybody wants to be healed. Everybody wants to be provided for. Everybody wants to feel good. But that's not the message Paul gave. Paul didn't give a message that, that was feel good. Paul didn't give a message that, uh, that spoke to their desires for things or for, for, for healing or anything like that. No, he said that I chose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because Paul knew that the most life-changing aspect of Jesus' life and his ministry was his humility. 
the most life-changing thing about Jesus' ministry was his suffering. That he did all this for our sake. That his humiliation was done for our healing. And that that's the greatest aspect of who Jesus is, is that he came, God incarnate, like we talked about last week, God put on flesh, emptied himself by putting on flesh, coming and being born in this broken world for our sake. Not that he did a lot of miracles, not that he healed the blind, not that he raised the dead to life. No, it's that he came for us to live and die for us. Paul knew that that's what people need to know because that's the thing that will never let you go. You know, our health will decline even after health is, I mean, all these people Jesus healed, they're going to suffer health-wise at some point, right? I mean, the things that we get, our money, our, our products, all these things, like they're going to lose value at some point. They're going to be gone at some point. There has to be something more sustaining than just the, the stuff that we get. There's got to be something even more sustaining than my health because this body will wither. But the Word of God, the Bible tells us, will stand forever. You know, so Paul understood that until someone understands and believes the gospel, there is nothing more to say to them other than preaching the cross. It's called the preaching of the cross. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, the preaching of Jesus and the cross was so dominant during this time and during the early stages of the church that they, that they even accused Christians of worshiping a dead man. Because that's how much they preached Jesus and the cross and what he did for us because they saw the value in it. And within preaching Jesus and the cross, we have to acknowledge sin. You have to acknowledge the penalty for sin and de through death. But it's a stumbling block and it's foolishness. And listen, that's still the culture of today, that people don't like that idea. I mean, there are Christian leaders in churches that, that, that don't like, to, they don't believe in the idea that God would have to die for our sake, that death would have to happen for the atonement of sins. But that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the cross that God himself bore our sin because of the penalty, because of the, the requirement of sin. Galatians 1.14 says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul understands that true change happens through the truth of God's sacrifice for us. And that for us as a church, we would never be pushed or led to have to live or to preach or to teach or to act any different than seeing the value in that. And then not only that, but he, it, Paul calls us within our method to be resilient. In 1 Corinthians 2.3, he says, in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. The thing with Paul is that at this moment, when Paul is writing this more, more than likely from Ephesus, when he is writing this from Ephesus to the church at Corinth, he says uh, that, that he literally was physically and emotionally had experienced hardships. He had literally physically and emotionally experienced uh, persecution. But within the midst of that, Paul continued to move. God continued to move towards his goal that he was beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, that he was ran out of Thessalonica, and that he was verbally abused in Athens in Acts chapter 16 and 17. 
Paul had literally experienced some of the most difficult hardships that any one of us could ever experience in our Christian faith, short of being killed for our faith, which Paul would later do. So Paul says, in the midst of weakness, because I'm just beaten down, in the midst of fear, because I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know how people are going to respond, and in the midst of much trembling, Paul presses on and he teaches us about resilience within our Christian faith, in our personal lives, and in the context of our local church. Because I love Paul always communicated and exemplified that in our greatest weakness is the best opportunities for God to reveal his glory. When everything's breaking down, when our personal lives are breaking down, when the things around us are breaking down, when things just seem uncertain, we're not sure what we're doing or where we're going, there's just a lot of hardship around us, whether it's in the context of our families or in our homes or in our jobs, all these things that can be deterrents, all these things that can draw us away from the truth of what God wants to do with us. In the midst of all that weakness, Paul constantly says that this is God's greatest opportunity to work in you. The time when you think you're the weakest is God's greatest opportunity. The time that you feel like you're stripped of any ability that you have, God says, that's where I want to use you. Because why? Because it doesn't play into the culture's expectation of perfection. It doesn't play into the need for theatrics. You know, it doesn't play into the need for any special manipulation techniques or no special presentations. It's a simplistic approach to a priceless message in our weakness because we don't have anything else to offer. One of the things that I love so much about our church, and I believe that a lot of people love when they come to our church, is the simplicity of what we do. We don't have a lot to offer. We don't have a lot. I have a couple TV screens so we can make some noise with our mics and sound system. We have all these things, and, and, and we don't have a lot of backdrops. We don't, I mean, we're in this gym right now, like all these places, all these things going on, and you still continue to come because I believe and I hope that we've taught enough to understand that you don't need anything else but God's Word in a community of believers to worship God and to grow in knowledge of who God is. That's why we do what we do. It's not about the show. It's not about the building. It's not about all these things that we feel like as churches we need because the culture has told us that's what it expects from us. I need to be entertained to come to church. I need to be entertained to know who God is. And that's not the case. And we can't play into that. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't have a good time. It doesn't mean that we can't do special things. But it can't ever be the driving force behind what we do because more times than not, we're going to find ourselves at our wit's end. We're going to find ourselves weak. We're going to find ourselves scrambling. I mean, me me and Garen, we find ourselves scrambling with things sometimes, whether it's volunteers or whether it's setting this up or that up. I mean, my goodness, we weren't even allowed to meet in a building, and we had to meet in somebody's parking lot. And you know what? God still showed up this year. People still showed up. Probably more people than have been in this building showed up to see us in a parking lot. While we stood on a shaky trailer, we just had to trust Rodney Paul that it wasn't going to cave in. But God showed up because ultimately people don't need all that. They don't need the flash. They just need humility. They need just authenticity. They need just the truth of God's word because that in itself, Jesus Christ and him crucified is enough. Now, it doesn't mean that, that, that we can't do work and we shouldn't be doing work and how we present that. Doesn't mean we can be lazy with how we do church. It just means we need to do our job in presenting ourselves and the gospel the way it's supposed to be. 
You know, for a lot of us, we believe we can't do until we are strong. But God says you can do because he is strong. Church, God has so much he wants to do with us. And Paul teaches us so much about resilience. That even in our weaknesses and even in all our failures and everything that's breaking down around us, God still wants us to press forward into our spiritual goals, into our work, into everything that he has for us. Back in 1 Corinthians 2.1, when he says that, that I did not come with lofty speech, he means superiority or excellence. That, that word lofty speech can be defined in both of those ways. And so what he's saying, he's like, look, I didn't come with any superiority, like I'm any better than anybody else, but also I didn't come with any grand excellence. I don't have a lot to offer you, and I I have chose personally not to know anything but Christ and him crucified or appreciate or remember anything as most valuable except Jesus Christ, his life, and his death and what he's done on the cross for us. And I believe it's because, you know, within this kind of church culture of entertainment and all that goes on, within that, what it does is it puts a lot of the spotlight on man right? It puts a lot of the spotlight on me. And, and in a lot of ways, we've, we've contributed to it as Christians from over the years, and it's become worse over the, over the years. But I believe why Paul constantly approached ministry and the message of the gospel in the manner at which he did, because he never wanted to shine a light on himself. And he even says that in verse 5, as we begin to wrap up, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God church because men fail if a church or a ministry is built on a single man or a single woman if our foundations are built on and dependent on the accomplishments the expertise or the support of a man or an individual who is a spiritual leader in your life the moment they are gone or fall to some moral issue what happens what happens now, it doesn't mean that as leaders, that me or any other leadership that steps into a role here at our church or any other church, it doesn't take responsibility of us off because the Bible tells us we'll be held to high regard and we'll, we'll have a punishment if we don't do our part. But for us as individuals, as we kind of put all our chips in, that it would not be on a person. You know, it would not be elevating someone to the point that that's the pinnacle, that's the peak. That's, that, that's where it's all at. You know, I need that person. I need to hear from that person. I need to hear that person's voice or what they have to say. Because men fail. Women fail. And the fall of strong Christian leaders' church is not uncommon, and we see it all around us. And that every time it happens, the world uses it as ammunition against the validity of our faith. You know, and a lot of us, we've, we've contributed to this celebrity culture of pastors and preachers because we love how someone preaches or we love the things they have to say. And so, so, you know, even if we're going to a local church and we have a preacher or a pastor, and I'm not saying it's wrong to listen to, you know, podcasts. I listen to podcasts or watch videos or whatever. But when we elevate these people's voices to the highest level, almost to the level of God, like I need to hear from them, then when they fail, what happens? Because for most people, it would be that they begin to question the validity of their own faith. Because we've put all our trust, all our confidence in a person. I mean, you've seen it even in the context of this, this community. When a man is elevated to a point of, of superiority and dependence, when that person falls or when that person moves, what happens? Churches fall to pieces, right? 
Because that's what most church culture does, is it, it kind of filters towards one man. And that's why for us as a church, I've always said we are not going to be a church dependent on one person. If we are going to be a church of many leaders, then and that empowers our people, that you're not dependent. It doesn't take responsibility away from me or any other elder or deacon in our church or any other leader to step up and to be functioning and leading. But hopefully, our goal and our guide in life could be as Paul and even as Mary, that my soul would magnify the Lord, that I don't come making you impressed by me, but I come pointing you to God. I come pointing you to Jesus because he won't fail you. Jake is, is faulty. I, I, I'm may fail you. I may leave. I may not be here. You never know. Garen may, you know, Sean may, Mr. Billy may. These people are strong people in your life, even your spouse. You can't put all your faith and dependence on them. We have to be pointing people to Jesus and empowering people to seek that relationship on their own and not be dependent. It doesn't mean that we don't support each other. The Bible tells us to bear each other's burdens and to be there for each other. That's what we're supposed to do as a Christian church. But the foundations of our faith cannot be built on men cannot be built on people. And in a lot of ways, like I said, it's not, it's not just uh, their fault, but for us, we've placed this weight that the face of a, of a ministry is on this person or the selling point of a ministry is on this person, and we place the weight of our faith on their backs unfairly. And just, I mean, they can't hold it up. Only for so long will they be able to hold that up. And so our prayer as a church that we would not cultivate that culture. You know, and there's just so much. I mean, for instance, for me, the, the, uh, um, a man just recently that uh, some things have come out about, a man named Ravi Zacharias, he, you know, some things came out about him morally, some moral failures, and maybe you've heard him, maybe you don't, but uh, a heavyweight for the Christian faith and, and a, a, an amazing apologist just preached some amazing sermons and some speeches about the validity of our faith. And so then we begin to ask ourselves, well, does that nullify anything they've ever said or done? Absolutely not. But what it does reveal to us is that we can't put our, the foundation of our faith on man's perfection or man's accomplishments because men will fail. Does it mean that the things they have to say aren't valuable to us? Absolutely not. I mean, we, the, the church sings songs that are in hymn books from people that were heretics that you wouldn't agree with spiritually, but we sing their songs you know, they're in those hymn books that are in front of us because sometimes the things we do are more valuable than who we are because of the work God does through us. And so in conclusion for us this morning, and I'll finish up, what does this mean for us? For us as a church, I pray that our message, that our message would always bring us to the cross because we believe at the cross it's not just death, but there's life. We believe that there's faith. We believe that there's redemption. We believe there's grace and mercy at the cross of Jesus so that our gospel message would always be pointing to Christ and him crucified. Because it's revealing to us that God took our sin and our shame and our guilt and he hung it on the cross to no longer affect us, no longer be held against us. The record of our debt has been canceled. That's what we find at the cross and let that be our message. And not only that our message would be that, but our method at which the way we approach people, the way we lead our kids, the way we, we lead our spouses, the way we, we step out into our community, that our method is always driven by humility, by love, and by urgency for the sake of, of the souls around us. And it would not be uh, in a pragmatic way to just for results' sake, but for truth's sake. And so, you know, for us for 2021... 
you know, we always want to kind of set a vision for what we want to accomplish. And like I said, there are some things we accomplished this year. And as we step into 2021, hopefully a better year for us as a, as a, as a people, as humanity. But uh, just a few things that we want to accomplish in 2021, you know, is uh, the, the number one is looking towards our future. You know, we get the question a lot, well, are y'all going to build? Are y'all going to buy? Are y'all going to this or that? You know, that's, that's, we're in the realm of those conversations and taking those steps. You know, we've developed this advisory team to have some discussions and to get some advice. You know, we've, uh, we've begin, uh, we hope to begin after the first of the year, begin, uh, begin giving directly towards our future, whether that's building or land. And so we, we hope to see that develop, you know, and we hope to see our church as a whole uh, grow in, uh, in financial giving, you know, just towards those goals, towards those things that we want to accomplish, whether, you know, and I've always said in, in my teachings on giving is not a specific amount, but it's, a, it's an act of faith, and maybe it's a small amount, and it grows to greater amounts as you move through your faith, but that we would be giving towards this future uh, as we move into this year, as we step alongside each other in faith. Uh, with what God has for us. The second thing is that we would continue to seek service opportunities within our community. You know, I had a conversation uh, with with some leadership of our community recently, and just a really great uh, conversation, and just to hear uh, them be glad. You know, I, I, I always say that if a, if a community doesn't know you're there, then you're missing something. You know, and we've gotten the great opportunity to participate in some things that have let our, the leadership of our community know that we're here and that we love our community, and that we're available. You know, they call us for things. They call us to participate in things because they know we're here to help. You know, and so I pray that we would continue, that you as individuals would continue to have your ear to the ground. You know, how can we serve our community? Where are there some needs in our community? How can we make a footprint in our community, not for our sake, but for someone else's good and for the glory of God? That we would be a people constantly looking for how we could serve. And then the last thing, and a big push that I want to make in 2021 is our spiritual formation. You know, we, we've kind of grown this over the last couple of years, but, but, the, but making a big push for it in this year to come. You know, because I truly believe that God uses moments to mold us. And every moment of teaching, every moment of conversation is a moment where God spiritually forms us. And so for us, we want our movement to be from superficiality to depth and freedom and abundance, from this idea of understanding God's promises and moving them into this place of God of practice, from promises to practice. And that, uh, you know, for us as a church, our opportunity and our obligation as a church body and individuals is to step into this spiritual forming process and work. And so this is what we can do and what we need to be doing and what we hope to accomplish even more so in the year 2021, and that we all have a part to play in that. You know, uh, many of you are already involved in, uh, in volunteering in our kids' ministry, and I hope to get more involved. And not only that, committing to helping in our kids' ministry, but also committing for your own self uh, to step into more personal study. You know, I hope that as we move into this year and we're having some conversations around it, that we would begin to offer some different, uh, some different studies, maybe short-term studies and different types of studies on different types of things, and just with the intention on growing deeper in your relationship with God and your understanding of God's Word. Uh, and, and, and how that can be better for us. And so the 2021 challenge is to commit to spiritual formation in your life and your family's life. And not only is that committing to you on a personal level, but that's also committing to be a participant in how we spiritually form each other, starting from our kids up to our adults, you know, spiritually forming each other. And, uh, and you know, as I was thinking about that, 
um, you know, uh, I, I asked myself the question, well, how can I communicate how we can, how can we help, or why is that important? You know, the biggest thing for us is being willing to step into those spaces. You know, and when I thought about being willing to step out, I thought about Jonah chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Um, and I won't spend a lot, whole lot of time on it, but you know, God comes to Jonah and he tells him, he has a, I want you to go to Nineveh because there's, there's a ministry need there. They need to hear a message. They need to be taught. They need to be discipled. I have something specifically for you to do. Jonah had a responsibility, but what did he do? We know in verse 3 it says that, that he ran away from that and that he went to a certain place and in this place that he had two options. He had an option to go to Nineveh or he had an option to go to Tarshish. And so when he got there, what do we know happened? That he could have been, uh, you know, for him, and I feel like a lot of us is kind of navigates this same space, is that, you know, uh, we, uh, that, you know I, I'm, I'm running away. He goes, Jonah goes to this place, and there, there's an opportunity to go the opposite direction, to Tarshish. You know, and uh, I heard this said before, and it just reminded me when I was talking about serving and specifically in kids' ministries, you know, and specifically with Jonah, you know, there will always be a boat to Tarsus. You know, there will always be an opportunity to escape our responsibility. There will always be a, a way to get out of doing something in the local church. You know, I think a lot of times we think, well, if I don't feel up to it or if I don't feel equipped for it, if I don't feel like uh, it just doesn't feel like my calling or the right time, then, um, then I'm, I'm probably not supposed to do it. But just like Jonah, there's always going to be a boat to depart, right? There's always going to be an opportunity to leave and to go the opposite direction of where we should, we, where we should go and what we should do. So don't ever think that things are always going to line up and be like, you know, this magical, because I, I really feel like, and, and just in thinking about this, I make this correlation because I believe kids' ministry is a lot like Nineveh. You know, for Jonah, it was these people that he thought about, and he's like, I don't want to be there right? Like, I, I don't want to go to those people. Like, they're a little, they're a little much for me, you know, and, and Jonah even says later on, he's like, God, I don't want you to save. Like, he just did not like this ministry opportunity that God was giving him, but there was a need, and for us, man, there is so much that our kids need from us. You know, our kids are our greatest, not only our greatest opportunity for personal growth, but we are their greatest opportunity for their growth. You know, there's so much that we can do. And it's not limited to, to women. It's the, our men. You know, it, there's so much that, that, can be a, that needs to be and can be accomplished. This is our outlet to teach, to invest, to, uh, to, to pour into someone else. And it doesn't take perfection. It doesn't take a, a lot of wisdom or knowledge. It just takes a willingness, a willingness to step in, a willingness to put a little bit of work in. You know, in... Um, you know, kids' ministry is where proper indoctrination begins. Because, church, our kids are being indoctrinated the moment they start engaging the world. You know, and me and my wife have this conversation all the time. We are responsible for how our kids interpret the world around them. And do we want those interpretations coming from a biblical perspective, or do we want those interpretations coming from the worldly pressures around them? And so we have an opportunity. You know, we have kids in our church it's such a blessing, and it's, it's an opportunity. You know, I always say our kids are not an obstacle. They're our opportunity to see us worship, to hear us teach, to hear the gospel. You know, this is our chance to teach our kids who they are in Jesus and who other people are and why God's worthy 
and why, why this is the path at which God's called them on. You know, and, and, and as they grow and as they become voters and as they become people interacting with other people and in the workplace, that everything they do would be coming from a biblical perspective and, 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 and driven by grace and mercy and love in the gospel of Jesus. You know, don't we want that for our kids? And you know what? It is hard. You know what? It is a lot like Jonah going to Nineveh. It is a little wild sometimes. It is a little chaotic. Sometimes you do feel like, well, do they even hear me? Are they even listening? You know, somebody told me a long time ago, they said, you know what? You'll plant a lot of seeds for a lot of trees that you'll never stand under the shade of. You know what? So there's going to be a lot. Kids ministry isn't one of those things that you're just like, man, I just saw major shifts today. But it's through that consistency pouring in the truth of God's Word, that over time, as they begin to experience life, as they begin to really experience sin, as they begin to experience persecution and struggles, that those truths are going to come back. And they're going to know, first off, they're going to know where they learned those things. They're going to be able to attribute it to a group of believers that leaned into their lives and that shared these truths with them. Church, we have a Nineveh here at our church, and it's our kids. And they need you. They need you to be invested. We'll provide you the resources. We'll provide you the help where you need it. But I want to invite you to be a part of that this year because I believe it's going to be a big ministry for us. I mean, we've got enough kids to fill up a kids' ministry for like three churches. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's a great opportunity, but it's a huge responsibility. And you know what? The 80-20 rule can't cut it. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. We want to invite you to be a part of it. We want to invite you to be a part of it. And from, you know, and so for us as a church that we have uh, not only the opportunity, but seeing our responsibility and what that looks like for us. And so, you know, all of these things we want to accomplish this year, they're only going to be accomplished if we're all leaning into it together. And so I want you to really truly begin to pray and to know that there's always going to be a boat heading to Tarshish. There's always going to be a boat leaving the direction that you're supposed to go. So don't always take opportunity or some open door as the right door to take. You know, open doors aren't always the best things. Open doors can still lead the wrong direction. And so truly pray and truly consider. Man, we, I'm telling you, and most of you guys here this morning have been with us for a while or, or you, you've been here for the last you know, few months or so, and you, you, I hope you get a vibe of who we are and what we do. Listen, we're not asking for, per, for perfection. We're asking for willingness to step out and to be involved and to be invested, maybe as an individual, maybe as a couple. You know, the, the, I, my greatest desire is to see couples serving in kids' ministry together. I think that's a beautiful thing. And so I want to challenge you with that. And I want to challenge you to be a part of what God wants to do in 2020 with our spiritual formation. Because we've got some great things ahead. I truly believe that. And one of the greatest things we have to do is what we get to do with our kiddos. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. And that for us as a church, that we would constantly be coming back to the truths that we've read and experienced this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for the opportunities that you have given us to study your word. God, and I, I pray, I pray that our method and our message would be one that points to Jesus and leans toward and on Jesus in all aspects of our life. God, let us point our children to Jesus. God, let us point our spouses to Jesus. Let us point our faith family constantly to Jesus and what he has done and what he wants to do with us. 
God, we are, we are wretched sinners, God, in desperate need of your rescue. God, I pray that we would know that you've provided that way through Jesus. God, that in this time, in this season of, 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 of Christmas and of Advent, God, that, that there, we have so much to celebrate and so much, Lord, that, has, that we're able to give and we're thankful to be able to give, but ultimately the most important thing, God, I pray that we would know and acknowledge what you've given to us and that everything we do points back to that great gift in Jesus. And that as we, God, step into our communities to serve in 2021, God, as we step into the spiritual formation of the individuals of our church from birth all the way up to our adults, God, that everything we do, the message and the method would revolve around you and humility and authenticity and urgency. God, let us do that and let us be that people. Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.